evening. As I said this morning, it has been nearly a year since we have been able to come to the Lord's table as a church. And as we think back over the year, we understand that that was due to the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, the shutdown, the social distancing, the, uh, the, the limited contact, and that sort of thing. And, and while that's not how we would have planned it, it does make the observance of the Lord's Supper all the more special tonight. You know, as we think about what we are entering into this evening, it is a, a sacred ceremony. It, it is a rite that was given to the church by the Lord himself on the eve of his crucifixion. He never meant for us to enter into it lightly, uh, take it for granted, or routinely. And so one of the benefits of this long pause in between is that you and I come with greater reverence toward this table tonight. If, uh, if you would, let's read a few verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 uh, that inform us about the Lord's Supper and take our cues from there. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Corinth and he is addressing this issue of the Lord's table because they have misconstrued it in some ways. They have devalued it. And they've really perverted it into something it was not meant to be. And he says in verse 23, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup. And when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, this do ye as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as oft as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord." But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged." So we think about the Lord's table, we need to realize that each and every aspect of this sacred ceremony was strategically and specifically selected by Jesus himself and was recorded in Scripture for perpetuity, that is, for continual practice. It was not just that Jesus off the cuff said, oh, let's put this thing together, I'm about to be crucified, what do we have around the house that we can turn into this? No, in the sovereignty of God and in the foreknowledge of Christ, he knew exactly what he was planning to do that night after the Passover. He specifically selected the elements that they would use and what they would represent. What we do tonight, we do ceremoniously and we do it strictly. While there are some things in church life that are open to change, like methodologies and customs and such the like, there are others that are not open to change. Doctrine is not open to change. 
God gave us his doctrine, what we are to believe, and we're not allowed to adapt that to the culture. The Lord's Supper is another ceremony, an ordinance, uh, the Bible calls it in the beginning of the chapter, an order that was given by Christ uh, that is not to be changed. It is to be strictly observed following these uh, protocols as prescribed in Scripture. The reason for that is because the Lord's Supper, every part of it, serves a purpose by Christ's design. That each thing that he did that night was by design to serve a purpose that would benefit us as individual Christians and the church collectively as we come together. And so tonight, before we move forward uh, to take the bread and the cup, I would like to remind us of the significance of what we are doing as we observe the Lord's Supper. As we observe the Lord's Supper, we are committing certain acts, and we are doing so purposefully and intently by Jesus' design to represent other things that are symbolized here. And so, four thoughts for you tonight, more than thoughts, uh, four demonstrations of what the Lord's Supper does. Number one, the Lord's Supper is an act of commemoration. It's an act of commemoration. Jesus said, this do in remembrance of me. What Jesus was about to do that period was to go to the cross. He was about to become the sacrifice for our sins. This had been prefigured through the Jewish sacrificial system from before the time of Moses. And all of that was coming to this culmination point to where the final, the full sacrifice would be made, the completing atonement of Christ. And as he is about to head to the cross, he marks that off with this memorial meal that he gives to his church, to the disciples. There are a couple of clues that we need to pick up on. One is that it follows the Passover meal. If we are to go back into the Old Testament and we read about the Passover in Exodus chapter 12, the very first Passover, God prescribed through Moses what the people of Israel were to do. And they were to take a lamb. They were to sequester it for a number of days. And then they were to slaughter that lamb. They were to take the blood, apply it to the doorpost of their house. And then they were to cook that, that sacrificial lamb. And they were to eat that meal. And they were to eat that meal with bitter herbs. And they were to eat that meal uh, together and that was a memorial that they observed every single year or they were supposed to observe every single year to remind them of the great Passover when God passed over judgment on them in Egypt and so on that night Jesus and his Jewish disciples are observing the Passover they are eating a memorial meal that was prescribed all the way back in Exodus chapter 12. And at the conclusion of that meal, Jesus really is drawing a line between the old dispensation and the new dispensation. The old one was a reminder of what God did through a substitutionary sacrifice, but it was not the final sacrifice. And what he was about to do on the cross would be the final sacrifice. And it would not be observed with a Passover. It would be observed with communion or the Lord's Supper. 
And so he takes those elements that are there, the fruit of the vine and the unleavened bread, and he uses those, and he says, I want you to do this, and as often as you do it, do it in remembrance of me. As you think about that commemorative aspect of the Lord's Supper, you know, I have to realize that when this was implemented, the world was in an age when not everybody had a copy of this. In fact, when it was instituted, this wasn't even completed. It wouldn't be completed for another 60 years. If everybody did have a copy of this, not everybody would be able to read this. And so there were some things that God gave to the church that would be able to help minister to every people in every culture in every age. And what he gives them on this night is what we would call a mnemonic device. It is something that helps us remember something else. Not, not to simplify it, but sometimes we learn the, uh, the days of the months of the year by our knuckles, right? We go through, count 30, 30, 31, 30, go through a little device like that. Or we'll put it to music and that tune, that melody, that rhyme will help us remember that. Well, what Jesus was giving on this night was a mnemonic device to the church that would help them remember the significance of his sacrifice on the cross and those elements that he gave them were representative. The objects, the bread and the cup are symbols. They're memorials of our Lord. He says the bread is his body. The cup is his blood. So that when we come and we take those elements, we are not sitting down to eat a meal. We are not eating a snack. We are not consuming food or drink in a way that we do any other time or place. This is unique and this is specific and it is meant to trigger our mind to think back upon what Christ did for us. I like what one preacher of old wrote about this, Alexander McLaren, who was a pastor in England in the late 1800s. He said this, Do this not only because you're in danger of forgetting, but do this because you remember. Because you remember. I can think about the slogan that we had shortly after 9-11, we will remember. We will remember. We said this is so significant. There was such a loss of life. There was such an upheaval of our way of life on this date. So many lives were lost because of a terrorist attack. We will remember this day. And we made that vow and we printed posters and we did all kinds of things like that. Well, let me tell you, to a greater degree, we do this not just because we're in danger of forgetting what Christ did for us. We do this because we do remember. We remember every day as believers that if it wasn't for the sacrifice of Christ, you and I would be hell-bound sinners without any hope. You and I would be helplessly lost in our trespasses and sins, unable to right ourselves and reconcile ourselves to God. And so every time we come to this table and we partake of these elements, it is an act of commemoration in which we say, we remember, Lord, where we were. We remember, Lord, what you did for us. We remember you. Not only is it an act of commemoration, but it is an act of communion. We use a couple of different terms for what we do here tonight. Sometimes we might refer to it as the Lord's Supper or the Lord's Table. Sometimes we refer to it as communion. Other denominations may refer to it as the Eucharist. 
But when we think about the names that we give to it, this word, this idea of communion is one that is used in the Bible. In fact, if you look back a chapter in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, as the Apostle Paul is beginning to approach this subject and to deal with this issue, he says in 1 Corinthians 10, 16, The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we being many are one bread and one body, for we are all partakers of that one bread. What we do tonight is meant to draw us closer to Christ. It's meant to draw us closer to Christ. It is meant for us to, to just press the pause button for a moment on all other activities of our life, to settle ourselves, to focus ourselves on Christ, and to think about the supreme sacrifice that he made for us. Remember I said every element in, in this whole ceremony is, is symbolic. The bread is symbolic of the body. The blood is symbolic of uh, the uh, cup, is symbolic of the blood. I can't help but wonder if the table isn't even symbolic. The supper table around which Jesus and his disciples sat was one of the most intimate settings that a family or group of friends could have. They have taken off their overcoats or outer garment, if you will. They have unbuckled or untied their sandals. They have washed their feet. They are sitting at a low table uh, that uh, is near to the ground. They are leaning near or on one another. In fact, that very night records the fact that John, the disciple, is actually leaning on Jesus' chest as they are eating the Passover and going through this. They are gathered together, not as you see in the, in the iconic picture, all of them sitting on one side of the table facing us. They would have been sitting family style around a table facing one another. Everything about that is talking about this circle, this group, this relationship that they have. And so when we come to the Lord's table, it is not simply sterile and ceremonial, but it is a communion that we have with Christ that reminds us that we have a seat at his table, that he made a place for us. In fact, he said that he would not partake of this supper again until he partakes of it with us in heaven. Oh, isn't it exciting to think about the fact that you and I have a seat reserved for us in heaven and that there's not a chance of it being lost because it is secured in Christ. He has it reserved for you and I because we are part of his family of the redeemed and we come in communion with him. And so tonight as we come to this, this table and we partake of these elements, it is designed to bring you into nearness to Christ, to feel the nearness of Christ. You know, what's interesting is that God never moves away from us. But sometimes we feel like we've got some distance from him. And this is one of those wonderful moments in our Christian life when we can restore that closeness and come to him in communion. Not only is it an act of communion, but the Lord's Supper 
is an act of consumption. Why this? Why is it a consumable? Why is it something that you eat and something that you drink? Again, I believe that's by design. I don't believe it's incidental, coincidental, accidental. I believe that it was intentional by the Lord Jesus Christ that as part of this memorial service in which we are remembering that he gave his life, his body, his blood for you and I, he says, these elements represent my body and my blood, and I want you to eat them, and I want you to drink them. But you know, that's not the first time that Jesus said something like that. If you recall, in John chapter 6, the Lord Jesus Christ had a watershed moment in his ministry that at a time when there were thousands of people following him, over 10,000 people would have been there when he feeds the 5,000, he makes some statements to that enormous crowd that whittles it down and causes some people to walk away from following him. John chapter 6, verse 51, Jesus said this, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever, and the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. The Jews therefore strove among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, truly, truly, I say unto you, except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. As the living Father hath sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. This is that bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever." And as the story goes on, it says that many that day turned away from him and ended up following anymore. But can you imagine what a radical statement that he makes? You and I have the benefit of having the full theological lens in which to see this, and we see it through the Lord's Supper. So we read these words, and they are not shocking to us, but when they first fell on the ears of the hearers, this would have been a drastic statement. I mean, this is cannibalism. Consuming blood had been forbidden from the time of Moses. It was one of the major tenets in the Mosaic Law, so much so that even in the New Testament when they're saying what are Christians, Gentile Christians supposed to observe they're not supposed to eat meat with the blood in it is the one thing and so this would have been absolutely shocking but if you noticed every time Jesus speaks about eating his body and drinking his blood it is connected with life it's connected with eternal life you have to receive me into yourself in order to have eternal life. And so the very consumption of the Lord's table is this idea of our consumption is the transfer of His life into us. That it is that intimate, it is that 
personal. It is that intricate that when we take that bread and we consume it and we take that cup and we consume it, we are reminding ourselves that we took Christ into ourselves, that we opened up our lives to him and that we invited him in and that the Holy Spirit of God came to live inside of us. And if he is not in us, then we are not saved. But if he dwells in us, then we have eternal life. In the Passover, they ate the sacrifice and they applied its blood to the entrance of their home. And when we look back to the Passover, we say, oh, there is a connective thread there. They consumed their sacrifice also. And in like figure, we consume the sacrifice that was made for us. And since it is symbolic, we can consume it and we can drink it, unlike they in the Old Testament who had to apply the blood to their doorpost. And so as we consume it, we make this consumption. Even that is a reminder to you and I that Christ is in us. The fourth and final element of this is that the Lord's Supper is an act of consecration. It's an act of consecration. It's an act of personal consecration to Christ. In our text of 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul warns those Christians not to partake of the Lord's Supper unworthily. Worthily. What does he mean by that? Uh, I had a conversation about that this week. What does it mean to partake of the Lord's Supper unworthily? And then he talks about the repercussions of those who had partaken of it unworthily, that some people had gotten sick, some people had even died. And that was a demonstration of the seriousness of what was going on here. I liken it unto the case with Ananias and Sapphira, that when they gave their money and they lied about it, that God's judgment came immediately upon them, and they both died, and it was a lesson to the church. Now, there's no record that that was continued to be practiced by God, that if somebody lied about what they give or claimed to give more than they give, that they were struck down immediately. But God did do it in in that early phase of the church to demonstrate how serious it was to lie to God, to lie to the Holy Spirit. And in the same sense, God did that to some of these Corinthian Christians who had made a mockery of the Lord's Supper. When you look around in this text and you realize what he is getting on to them about, about he says, don't you have homes to eat and drink in and one is full and the other is empty. You and I have to realize that there were tremendous divisions and fractures in the church at Corinth. And that those Corinthian Christians who had been so influenced by their pagan traditions of their secular temples and religions had turned the Lord's Supper not into this sacred ceremony in which they are remembering the death of Christ but they had turned it into what is called a love feast where they were feasting and because of the divisions there were some who were bringing abundance for them and for their little group and they were excluding others who had nothing or little and they had totally perverted and distorted what the Lord's Supper was meant to be. The Apostle Paul says, hey, look, you can have a party anytime you want to have a party. But when you come to the Lord's table, this is an act of consecration in which you and I are not coming into this lightly. 
We're not coming into this with open, unconfessed, unrepentant sin, but that we are inviting the Holy Spirit of God to examine and to search our lives, to expose and bring to light any sinfulness that is there so that we can repent of it, so that we can confess it to our God, and so that we can consecrate ourselves to our Savior. And so as we come to the Lord's table, it is an act of consecration. And here's what God didn't intend it to be. He didn't intend it to be an act of shame for the Christian who has slipped into sin. He doesn't want you sitting here not partaking in the Lord's Supper tonight because there, you know there's something in your life that shouldn't be there. This is a reset moment. This is an opportunity for you and I to come to this Lord's table and say, you know what, this means something. And I don't want to take it lightly. And this sin that I have been petting for so long, I need to send it out. And so before I come to the Lord's table, I'm going to examine myself. I'm going to confess any known sin that I have. I'm going to repent and ask God to forgive me of that. And then I am going to come into communion with him. That's the intent of the Lord's Supper. It's an opportunity for you and I to reconsecrate ourselves to our Savior. And so as we come to the Lord's table tonight, we come with this understanding that this is not simply a routine, this is not simply a religious rite, but that this is an act, this is an act of commemoration in which we remember. It's an act of communion in which we draw near. It's an act of consumption in which we yield ourselves to the Lord. And it's an act of consecration in which we give our lives to him in full and so with that on your minds tonight I want to take the advice of the apostle Paul and use the opportunity that we have before us to have a time of examination as I said it's not the Lord's intent for you to sit and abstain from the Lord's supper tonight maybe you're here tonight and you you feel that there's something in your life that shouldn't be there this is the opportunity to get it right don't, don't hold on to that sin and walk out of this room with it, but lay it down at the Lord. And, and if you have repented of it, don't let your guilt keep you from coming to the Lord's table. The Bible says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness immediately. There is no penance to be done. There is no period of feeling guilty before you can come back into that place of communion. And so let's take a few moments this evening of silent prayer and invite the Lord to search our hearts and to expose anything that we need to repent.